Hello and welcome to Bi Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and MD. And today we have an interview with Nicole Payson, who is an actor, an activist, and overall awesome bisexual human being. So without further ado, we'll go to the interview. So could you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your work and what you do? Hi, I'm Nicole Payson. Um, I'm an actress, writer, activist, podcast host, <laughs> among other things. Um, I played Aster on Anyone But Me, which you can find on Hulu. That's the thing I'm most known for. But I do a ton of other stuff in queer media. And I also, I volunteer at the LGBT Center. I have a podcast called Coming Out with Lauren and Nicole. Um, I've done a lot of LGBTQ activism over the past 10 years. And I also do a lot of essay and editorial writing as well. Yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> You've certainly done a lot, and you know when when we met, it was during Clexicon in, in London, a couple of weeks ago, and we had a pretty fascinating discussion on on representation, and I think that panel could have gone on for uh, ages. But before we dive into that, is there any specific role that you've played or any specific work that you've done in general that you're particularly proud of, and something that you think is really impactful? Um, a lot, actually. Um, some on bigger scales and some on smaller scales. Um, certainly, Aster and Anyone But Me, I feel like that has to be the most impactful thing that I've done because it has the farthest reach. And it also, Anyone But Me came out at a time, I mean, it was 2008. People, especially in this country, remember that was, you know, Prop 8 passed, and we were still very, very much in the fight for, um, for LGBTQ rights and visibility. Um, and the conversation over the past 10 years it's evolved to such a great extent, um, especially uh, around content. We just really did not have the same volume of, of content in this community by leaps and bounds. And so essentially we just had the L word <laughs> and then that ended. Uh, luckily, one of the writer producers of the L word started this show, Anyone But Me. Essentially when I auditioned for the show or when I submitted to audition, I had read the breakdown and I wrote them a very passionate email saying, I wish I had this show around when I was a teenager. That has really stood true and it's been amazing to see over the past 10 years and hear all the stories from people all around the world who have watched the show and been affected by it um, when it was exactly what they needed. So I would say that probably above and beyond anything else, I'm proud to have played Aster on that show for sure. How did you um, end up with a role? So basically, <laughs> uh, the audition went out through the NYU listserv. Um, at the time, I had just graduated from NYU. And sometimes they sent out casting notices, especially when they needed um, like teenage-looking people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just saw it, and I saw, you know, writer-producer of The L Word, and I was like, oh, my God. And then I read, I read the breakdowns for the various characters, and Aster was not the the lead lead of the show um my the the girl who played my my girlfriend or the character who's my girlfriend vivian was the lead but i read the breakdown for aster the character breakdown and i was like this is me like i just this is me i don't know what else to say and so i like i said i wrote this passionate email i went into audition i got called back and i read for both vivian and aster the lead and and my role got my role obviously um and that that was that and the rest is history we, we really had this like you know, I remember doing the read through of it and kind of everybody in the room looking around going, I think we have something special here, but 
but the internet, like web series was still a term that people really didn't know. I mean, truly, people were like, what's a web series, you know? So it was just kind of the wild west, like no one knew what was going to happen with it. Um, but I was just real grateful to be cast in, a, in a, a project that I felt so passionately about right out of school, you know? <laughs> I took a look at the series. I mean, I haven't uh, seen all of it yet, but I did uh, look at the trailer and also one of the episodes, I believe it was episode eight uh, in season one, uh, which had a very interesting discussion about, from what I gathered, is that, that Vivian moves to a smaller town and that she kind of hides her relationship in a way. And, and so there's this conversation about how being part of a same gender relationship or queer relationship also means being you know, proud of, of your sexuality and being a little bit more out there. So it was kind of interesting to see. I just wanted, wondered what, what your take on that was. Absolutely. And I think I, if I remember my episodes correctly, um, you're probably referring to the, they're leaving the party. They get yes. an invite party and, and Astor sort of is like, I don't want to have to hide my girlfriend basically. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I actually loved doing that scene because I felt so so connected to that argument. It's funny, and I really have I've I've evolved on it. But at the at the time, I was in a relationship with a woman. We were going on three years at that point. She had kept me a secret from her family for the majority of that time, and I was really young and bratty about it and <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say that I mean no so at the time I was in this relationship I had been uh, that my girlfriend had um been hiding me from my from her parents um for quite some time and I was getting increasingly agitated about it um because I've always been somebody who like lived really out loud and I I mean and that at that point I've been out for going on eight years because uh, I came out pretty young and so to me that just felt, I couldn't stand the idea that somebody would be ashamed of, of me um, and of us, and especially when she was so out in the rest of her life. And family is a huge thing for me. Um, so that was sad that I didn't get to have that connection with her her family. So I kind of used that um, in the scene with Vivian and Astor because I, I did really relate to that feeling of being hidden. You know, and while I totally get that and I still... I still have feelings around, you know, as somebody's partner, I never, ever, ever want to be hidden in the shadows. I want someone to be proud to be with me. I also recognize that when it comes to same-sex relationships, there are a number of complications and things that go into that that make it more difficult for people, and they have to come to it on their, on their own terms. And it's not personal. You know, in, in the case of my ex-girlfriend... It was something I understood but didn't, um, wasn't empathetic enough to until I was older and really understood. Um, but her, her parents were Catholic, and not only that, her older sister had, had died when they were teenagers. And her mother had said something to her when she was coming out, when my ex-girlfriend was coming out. She'd said, you know, one of my daughters died and the other one is gay. What did I do to deserve this? That, and it's awful because she, her mother's actually really good person but god just a moment of awfulness and that really traumatized my ex-girlfriend and I did not give enough I, I was not empathetic enough to that I have many feelings on this topic but I think first and foremost is you know yeah it's good to be out and proud of who you are but it's also 
it's really complicated and we need to have a lot of empathy with one another when dealing with this topic. Yeah, and then there's there's also the other side of the of the buy plus experience, if I may say that you, I mean, you're in, you do experience now in your in your uh, personal life. You've talked about it about the fact that you married a man and you're married yeah. to him, and who is a cis straight man. Well, yeah. and uh, so that that is not also easy to navigate because you know when it comes to the queer community because you're now visibly straight passing uh, in a way and but also within the relationship uh, because there's a part of your experience that he doesn't necessarily share so how do you how do you navigate that oh this is a million dollar question right now (laughs) (laughs) no i'm serious this is this is the third time i've talked about this in like two days i mean it's really yeah it is at the the forefront of my life right now and you know, I will preface all of this by saying that he is so kind and wonderful. I mean, he is the kindest human being and has been with me through the death of my sister, which was the worst thing could possibly have ever happened. And and sharing an experience like that is an amazing bonding experience, or it's an amazing bonding ah, adhesive in some ways. Um, So I respect him for who he is. And in many ways, he has made me fall more into the camp of like, you just, you love the person and not the gender, which was something to be honest, that I didn't really uh, adhere to an idea that I didn't really adhere to for myself for a long time. For me, it was like, I love men and I love women. And yes, the gender matters for me. And um, now, especially when we talk about like non-binary and a lot, you know, since the trans revolution, that has like very much blurred um, all of those lines. And I feel like I would be completely capable of falling for a trans person, too. He is the one who has really made me be like, you know, I think maybe sociopolitically, I I would maybe choose not to be with a cis straight man. (laughs) Um, He's the person that. And the uh, the most amazing partner I could imagine, and so from that standpoint, I, you know I love and respect him, and um, and from that standpoint, it's easy. But that said, <laughs> especially because I work in queer spaces, my own personal community has become more and more queer over the years. I and I do a queer podcast, like I I, I volunteer at the LGBT Center. I'm just I'm constantly, I am a very much queer, I, I define who I am in a lot of ways. Like I am definitely defined by that. I, I define myself by that and with pride. And there is difficulty in the fact that he doesn't share that experience. And not because he ever seems less than empathetic or anything like that. But it's just, you know, we went out, perfect example, Friday night, we went out for a date night. We went to an old bar that, God, we hadn't been to in years and years. And the scene had changed quite a bit in the bar. Um, and it really wasn't his scene either. It was sort of a mid-40s hetero meat market. It was really weird. And um, neither of us, it wasn't really our scene. But he could, he felt, he didn't feel the awkwardness that I felt. Like, and it was apparent that he just, there was an element of that that while it wasn't his scene, he was fine in it. And I like, I, I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb and I just wanted to get out of there. And, you know, and no, everybody was being fine and kind and nice. It wasn't that, but I just like, I looked around and I was like, God, I feel less and less comfortable in these spaces 
all the time. And it is a little sad to me that my partner doesn't understand that. And, you know, I said it to him, he's like, so do you only have to be in queer spaces now? And I was like, no, it's, it's not, it's not really that, but I just, I can't describe this to you because you're not on the inside of it. Like these spaces are going to make you feel a way or make me feel a way that they don't make you feel. And it's just in, intrinsic. And I'm not sure how to, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it to him. Um, so it is a hurdle for, for sure. And something that I think we're going to be dealing with, um, throughout our relationship and something that I made a point in my head the other day. I was like, maybe I should talk to my therapist about this. Because <laughs> like, nobody gives you a rule book for this particular thing. There's zero representation of like how to be in a heteronormative marriage when you're a queer person. Like, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. And there's probably not really one solution either. Yeah. Because oh. I mean, what you describe, I think is, is something that queer people will get. And it's very, very difficult to communicate. Yes. To, to, uh, to non-queer people. But I was wondering, because, I mean, I don't know if you, you want to talk about that, but you mentioned that you were also, po also poly, and, and so I suppose he is too. Yeah, and this is something that it's, it's funny because, like, I'd only, I mean, I said it for the first time in the bi panel out, out loud. Like, I, I mean, I said it out, I've said poly out loud to people um, in, in my life, um, like my friends know and uh, our friends know, but only like very few of our family members know and we've made a conscious decision to keep it that way for for now we're taking it day by day <laughs> you know um but it was like yeah i mean he here's what i'm gonna say is that for me polly i polly was my second coming up like the, for me polly feels like an orientation it is an orientation i don't know how else to say that and like when I realized it, when it was a very similar process to when I came out as bi, where I met somebody else who, actually a few other people, who identified that way as mm -hmm. Polly and, and started explaining it to me. And I was, it was like a light bulb went off in my head, where all of a sudden I looked back at so much of my, like, my relationship experience and um, my own my own like I don't know proclivities attractions these things um and I went oh my god that makes sense that's it you know and it it, it took this enormous weight off of my shoulders and making myself feel so bad and so wrong and so guilty for so long for being able being able to have feelings for multiple people at the same time so it was this giant relief for me so I slowly started to roll it out as like this is actually also my orientation not it's it's aside from bisexual and it's 15 years later but like this is another orientation of mine and with him my husband it's a choice so it's a lifestyle and that's the interesting thing about Kali that you know <laughs> I'll be I'll be I'll be intrigued to see in terms of like the literature and things that come out on Kali more than is already out there over the next however many years when it starts slightly more mainstream. I think that there are people seem to fall into one of those two camps. Either they feel oriented that way or they choose it um, because they want to explore it for themselves or because they're with a partner who is and so they're open to it or whatever. But in his case, um, he is very, very genuinely open as a result of me, but he could also be happy being monogamous. Mm -hmm. And we have gone through periods of 
you know, of, of monogamy where we just want to be with each other, you know, which I think a lot of poly people do. It doesn't always mean you're practicing. It's like being bi in that sense. <laughs> it's not because you are in a relationship with someone that you lose the ability of being attracted to yeah. other genders or to be attra attracted to other people and have a relationship with them. Yeah, it's always there. It's, mm. you know, whether you're acting on it or not is, is a choice, but yeah, it's always there. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we, we had another another interview it's about like polyamory and, and that was presented as a self-determination. Yeah. It's a very, very interesting thing. And But it, I don't know if it, we don't really have, um, it's really the topic here, but I was also interested in how being poly can be a form of, maybe not solution, but something that can help to deal with the the tension uh, that could arise from being a queer person in a relationship with a straight person. Because there's this shared experience of another way of, you know, relating to what a relationship is and how a couple can function, which is queer in a way, like, I mean, in a, because, in its, because it's different from what most people do, or how most people understand what marriage is. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, because I've tried to find um, <laughs> gentle or, like, um, palatable ways of describing this um, because for so long part of what actually hindered my ability to come out as poly to myself was because I was so determined not to fall into bi stereotypes of like of like not being able to be with one person and stuff and I felt like I had to prove something and then you know the beauty of getting older is realizing that you get less and less of the crap about proving things to people. So, um, so, but I have thought about this and I, and I, I, I want to be careful about the way I describe it because so often Polly and Bi are conflated into one another and they're just not the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. but is they do in my life complement each other beautifully. <laughs> so that, and I have seen in other the lives of other bi people that I know that that has proven true as well. Um, it is it is really nice and perhaps at times necessary to also be involved um, romantically and or physically with somebody who is queer when I when my uh, partner is not. From a community standpoint. That is really nice. Um, from a physical standpoint, it's nice too. It's different, um, you know. And one thing cannot be the other. So uh, there's that. But I, I do, I do find that. And I, I think it's also a challenge, though. Um, you know, going back to the conversation about what is, how do you navigate sort of being with a uh, heterosexual person as a as a queer person? Um, it's a challenge that way too, because of course if you're also dating someone who is queer and so much of your community and your social interaction and your work is queer, then, you know, having that person on your arm all the time starts to become really easy to, to perhaps neglect your other relationship. Um, and luckily that's not something that we, that I've, I've done. I have not fallen into that pitfall, but I'm very conscious not to. It, it is a challenge. <laughs> Listening to you, I was thinking that actually in all every in every relationship, especially when it's a romantic one, we tend to think that the other person experiences things as we do, but they never do because we're all experiencing experiencing things differently. So the difference in a couple where one is queer and the other isn't 
it's pretty obvious that this, there's this difference. It might not be that different from any other thing where, you know, we tend to think that we both experience things the same way, but we don't. And yeah. we need to find a way to translate our um, inner experience or perception to the other person so that they can understand, so they can I... get it to the best of their abilities. Yes, no, that's such a good point. And, and I also, I did, in, in talking about this the other day, I sort of stumbled upon the, the analogy to um, an interracial couple, right? Like where mm -hmm. I, it actually brought me a lot of comfort when I was thinking about that. Where I was like, oh, people have been doing the interracial thing for years. And, like, <laughs> and there is something of that, you know, each, obviously, each pairing has its own particular challenges. Um, so I don't want to make it completely analogous, of course. But there is, that to me feels like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all are coming from our own very particular experience. And there are certain communities that we are a part of that often our partner is just not. And experiences yeah. that they just cannot relate to. And so then how do you navigate that? You know, so whether it's... You, queer in a, you know, heteronormative relationship or it's, you know, a black person with a white person or whatever it is. Um, we're all kind of navigating that. Most of us are navigating that kind of stuff all the time, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's about the relationship being strong enough in itself. And then you yes. can find a way of translating your world to the other person. So one of the beauties of, like, um, poly, too, I have to say, this is the healthiest relationship I've ever been in by far and away. Largely, that is because of the honesty, level of honesty and communication that Polly demands. I think that it has really challenged me to try to, instead of internalizing the feelings of like, oh, you can't relate to, have to what I'm going through or you're not going to accept whatever it is that I'm, I'm feeling, it's challenged me to go, okay, how, how can you try to put this in words and be even more honest with yourself and with this other person than you think necessary, you know? And to, um, to switch gears a little, I mean, not really, but um, since we're talking about the queer experience and everything, um, we also, I mean, I also took a listen to um, your podcast, particularly the episodes that you did with uh, Natasha Nagavanlis and Stephanie Beatrice. So how, how did the podcast come about? Because it's a very interesting concept to talk about people's coming out stories, since, I mean, I think we discussed it during the panel as well, that it's not just one coming out story. It's never just, you, you don't just come out once. So how did you come up with the concept and how do you approach this idea of coming out being a continuous process? Um, yeah, no, I, we, so the idea, uh, came about, it was Lauren's idea. Um, and we, we both facilitate social groups at the LGBT center and Lauren has for a long while facilitated the women's coming out group. And so she approached me right when I started working at the center and said, you know, because she, she and I uh, met a couple of years ago doing um, a play reading, actually Susan Miller's play reading, who was one of the writers of anyone but me. And we'd immediately connected. And so when Lauren approached me after a facilitator's meeting at the center one day, and just said, hey, I, you know, I'm been kicking around this idea for a podcast and I was wondering if you would maybe be interested in co-hosting it and something to do, she was like something to do with coming out basically. And so 
it just, we, it was born out of that. And we started immediately brainstorming and it was like, idea, idea, idea. Um, and because I had also wanted to do a podcast, it's one of my favorite mediums. Um, really, I knew that I did not want to do it by myself because there's so much work and I just knew I wasn't going to hold myself accountable to doing it on my own, nor is that really nearly as fun. So when she approached me about this, I was like, yes, this is perfect. And we really, we thought at first like, okay, is there can't be there there can't not be something about this already you know like we think this is this great idea but i'm sure a million other people before us have gotten there and then we we did a search and no it was unbelievable we were like wait what of all of the queer podcasts out there there was nothing that was explicitly coming out or there was one thing that had a couple episodes and had clearly petered off um a, a while back and we were like what? And it was as though like the red seas of the internet just parted for us. We got like at coming out pod on everything. We got our website, we got like the domain name. Um, so we kind of, we looked at this, and we went, wow, to us, this says there is a real need for this. And, you know, Lauren had said in her coming out groups, her workshops that people just want to hear other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And that brings them so much comfort in their own process. And so we wanted to create a, a platform where people could do just that, you know, um, because you can look up people's coming out stories on YouTube too. That's a, that's a really wonderful resource for people now as well. Um, but we wanted to have them, you know, all in, in one place and extended conversations that went from the coming out story into, you know, issues that people are still dealing with or themes that come out, common themes that come up in these stories. Um, and we really wanted a diversity of, of people and experience within the stories because, no, you know, all stories seem to have some common threads, but no one story is, is like another, you know. <laughs> um, and in our first episode, we discuss how coming out is a constant process, how there is just you know, the, the idea of a coming out story is a little bit of a fallacy um, sense that it is not one moment in time. Um, you're going to come out over and over and over again in different spaces to different people throughout your entire life, especially, I would say, if you're um, bisexual <laughs> or gender nonconforming or pansexual or, you know, if you if you are uh, basically not at one end of the spectrum or the other, uh, you're gonna have to keep coming out because you're you're unfortunately going to experience that kind of erasure depending on the relationship that you're in. We, we try to bring that up often um, within the context of the episodes um, so that pe- listeners don't think, okay, it's just <laughs> a one and done, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's also great representation because a lot of people go out, like you said, you know, people go out looking for these kinds of coming out stories on, on YouTube. There is all these like coming out compilations that make people cry all the time. That's great. And that's part of, I think, also what makes representation by itself more accessible because not a lot of people, like some people may, may not have access to Hulu or, or Netflix um, because it does cost money. But things like YouTube and podcasts, those are free. And you can access those from wherever you, you want, from wh- whatever platform. So that's super important for, for people who are looking for someone to um, to relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, as beautiful as those coming out like compilations are, like, oh, my God, who hasn't watched those and cried? <laughs> They're wonderful. You know, it is kind of like, huh, it's so weird likening it coming out to a fairy tale. Whoa. But um, for, for the purposes of this metaphor, like, Basically, it is what happens after 
You know, what, like, this is one moment in time and it's either difficult or touching or joyful or all of the, all of that. What is, what happens after, you know, and where, where do people end up, you know, a year, five years, 10 years down the line, how does their relationship to their family and friends evolve and their relationship to the queer community evolve? And with the podcast, we are able to explore that because we are asking people to come tell their story as it happened in the past, but we're asking them where they're at at the moment, at this moment, checking in and saying, you know, so, you know, if you had difficulty with your parents, then where are you now? You know, and maybe you're in the same, maybe they're in the same place. Sometimes they are, and sometimes it's evolved, you know, and that has been a really powerful, I think an important aspect of, of the podcast, because we want listeners to see like this, this really evolves. And, and not to mention that people's identification evolves. Mm -hmm. And that's been a huge thing that's come up too, is that people have said, you know, I, when I came out, this is, I came out as, you know, whatever label, and now it's evolved. I feel more comfortable with this label, you know? Um, And we're finding that a lot, obviously, with gender too. So that's a really fascinating part of this process too. And I I think like, you know, when we talk about queerness in, in all its ways, and why it's so awesome that we're now using the word queer. Um, <laughs> I'm liking that the conversation is shifting more and more toward the fact that this is a spectrum and an, and an evolution, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this the kind of representation that you were hoping to see? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, huh, God, I, right now, I would hope that we're just going to see queerness in all its forms and the complications of queer relationships you know like right now I know somebody who wrote a pilot that hopefully I mean the pilot will be getting made hopefully the series will go on to be made but about a couple who um were it it was a cis cis lesbian with a trans man and this cis lesbian is very like um femme presenting so suddenly they found themselves in like this heteronormative presenting couple that they did not, and they had been so defined by their queerness to that point that part of the pilot is about them navigating being queer but now presenting in a way that allows them to pass. And what does that make them? And what does that, how does that change their identity if it does at all? You know, and I think like that kind of stuff where we're looking at like that, those really those micro situations, but that are 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 present and are around. Like that stuff is that specificity is so interesting to me. So I think now that we're getting more and more sort of general queer representation, we can start focusing on these like very specific relationships and um, conversations that are that are happening all over the place. And what do you think is your role as an as an actor and as a writer in creating these kinds of characters? And, and using your, your influence to, um, yeah, to, to make it happen. <laughs> I think that above all, um, and I would say this, whether it is about queer representation or um, female, accurate female representation or um, any, any number of other kinds of representation, I, I would say I think the responsibility lies in, in making sure that the stories are being told from a responsible and accurate place, you know, and choosing material, no matter what it is, that represents your values. It doesn't mean that you always have to play nice characters by any stretch. And 
I and I think that more than anything is my responsibility now, you know, not just to be sure that I'm sprinkling in queer characters with the range of characters that I'm playing, which I always have anyway, um, but just making sure that those stories are an accurate reflection of the community, choosing work based on that, you know, and based on my values. And like, I'm very fortunate in that I have an agent who is really, really aligned with that. And it's part of why we started working together because she knows that that's what I value and that's the kind of work that I want to be doing. Um, and even like commercially everything, you know? So yeah, so I, I think as storytellers, we just, we need to be really conscious of how our stories are being told, not just that there are queer characters, but how are those queer characters being represented? Thank you for talking to us and we'll for sure link uh, the podcast and yourself on, on Twitter uh, to this episode so people can get to know you a little better and, and also get engaged with the, with the podcast as well, as well as the, the series. And we can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This was great. I so enjoyed the conversation on the panel. And I was so happy when you guys contacted me. I love what you do. And I'm just, I'm really grateful. Like as a fellow member of the bi community, I'm really grateful <laughs> for what you, you guys do. So thank you. That's it for the episode. Thank you very much for listening to us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you.